Welcome in. Let's go. It's another episode of the Wobcast 2.0, the season two premiere of the Wobcast 2.0. And I am your host, Mike Wobshaw. Wobby, joined as always by Giles. We will bring him in in a moment. But first, I want to welcome all of you back, especially those of you who listened to season one of the Wobcast 2.0 as we made our return uh, to the podcasting arena to join Vikings conversation with you all. It was a fun opening season of the Wobcast 2.0, and we are looking forward to season two, which begins with what will certainly be an exciting and eventful and change-laden offseason for your Minnesota Vikings. And so the first, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 episodes or so will chronicle all of that, will predict all of that, and will opine on all of that as yours truly and Giles and executive producer Chase join you weekly on the Wobcast 2.0 to talk about all of it. You can find the Wobcast 2.0 wherever you find all of your favorite podcasts, and you can find us early every week. We plan on recording and posting on Mondays as we try and get ahead of all the Vikings news that will be coming down the pike. So with that said, and before we jump into all of the content we have for you today, let's bring in Giles. How you doing, bud? Hey, hey, doing as well as can be, considering that we're not uh, uh, continuing our our uh, path onto the Super Bowl in 2022. But all that aside, I'm really excited to break down uh, kind of the formula for 2023. What does it take uh, to improve our team? What worked? What didn't in this past season? And how yep. do we improve it? How do we go chase the Super Bowl for next year? Uh, and I think, uh, as you can agree, we're all about uh, winning formulas and getting down to the nitty gritty and understanding what specifically went wrong in the season and how do we go fix it? Uh, yep. So I think there's a really exciting offseason ahead uh, where we can analyze those things. Uh, I agree with you. Well said there, Giles. And uh, th- there's a lot of people in this space who like to speculate, who like to look back and, and poke holes in what happened. And um, and that's what we want to do, too. And we want to do it from the standpoint, a, a fanatical standpoint, just like a lot of our listeners are. But we also want to do it from a, a data driven and an experiential standpoint, which we're uniquely positioned to do with um, with my experience with the team. Um, and Giles, with your ability to sort of dive into data, and I, I know a lot of the people listening appreciate that. And uh, we uh, evoke and use emotion from time to time, but we also try and uh, have a steady hand at the wheel as we navigate through this. So coming up on the show today, uh, we're going to drill down on defense. So desired traits and style that we want defensively for the Minnesota Vikings. We'll take a look at some personnel issues that the Vikings are going to have to deal with. And we will take a look at a very key first step that will be dealt with by the Minnesota Vikings as they drill down on defense and try to improve. Uh, But first, let's take an overarching view of things, Giles. And I'll take a swing at that first. I know that we'll dive into data and, and PFF rankings and, and some in the weed stats uh, that you may have compiled and prep for the show. But from a general standpoint, I think, you know, looking at the Vikings defense, you're looking at a unit that was with due respect to everyone who put a lot of effort into making it good. It was bottom of the barrel uh, mm-hmm. defensively for, for the Vikings. When you look at it from, from a, a numbers and a production standpoint, 31st in yards allowed 388.7 yards allowed per game, 31st in pass defense, 265 Mm -hmm. per game, middle of the road and run defense. Again, Mm -hmm. I'm speaking from a production standpoint, middle of the road and run defense and run defense, but bottom of the barrel and pass defense 30th in points, 
25.1 per game. So two teams were worse than the Vikings. Um, so again, bottom of the barrel uh, for the Vikings in points per game. They ranked middle of the pack, Giles, in a lot of things. Sacks, mm-hmm. turnovers, interceptions, and then really low on a few things. And they were not high in anything. So when you're middle of the road or uh, you know low average in most things, and then there's a few things where you were 32nd, 31st, or 30th, that's going to net the net result there is a pretty low ranking. Mm-hmm. And that that's where the Vikings found themselves. And it reminds me of something we talked about leading up to the Giants playoff game and then after the Giants playoff game, Giles, where it was like, all right, we had all year to figure something out on defense and to generate some improvement and, and have an identity, and we they just couldn't do it. So now you just got to quickly find something to hang your hat on. What hook mm-hmm. is that? And and they couldn't even do that, right? Yeah. I mean, there is nothing unless unless you're going to come come to us here with, with data that I didn't see coming. I, if someone asked me in retrospect, well, yeah, they weren't good at this, this, and that, but they did do that really well. I, I don't, I don't even know what that is. Um, and so I think, you know, let, let's look at more of the data that you might have. Uh, and maybe there is a silver lining or two um, that you can present uh, with some of the more, the deeper dive numbers. But I think this is a group that is really searching, not, not only just to get better, but also to, to have an identity. And what is mm-hmm. that identity going to be? Um, and I think the only way we can sort of figure out what that should be and have an opinion on that is, is to take a look back at, at what happened, what went wrong, and then we can generate some ideas of how to fix it. So for you guys, what went wrong on defense this year? Yeah. When honestly, uh, before we get into the exact elements, I think it's important to note when things do go wrong, um, is it because it was a bad idea or we did it wrong? So if you gave up the most yards out of any team in the NFL, was that because, uh, we went to the table with the wrong scheme and that's what caused it? Or we did, did we operate uh, incorrectly within the scheme? So I think there's some important distinctions there as we parse through some of this stuff. But yeah. I think um, there's also another conversation to be uh, had regarding process and results. Um, if you look back to the 2021 season, um, according to PFF, which isn't the end-all be-all, but it's a measuring point, um, we were 21st in total defense. In 2020, we were 27th in total defense, okay? Um, so we went from 27th to 21st in the transition for between 2020 and 2021. And then when you transition another year forward, do you know where we ended up PFF-wise uh, in 2022 for a total defense? No, I don't. We were fourth. What? Fourth. So that tells me uh, when you break down all the different categories, which we'll do here in a second, um, we were actually pretty good when it came to process of defense. Now, obviously process doesn't always win games, results wins games, but it is helpful when analyzing what do we go fix in this off season? What went wrong? What truly went wrong? You can't say the defense was horrible. We did, let's just blow it up. Well, let's get a little more fine tuned than that. What actually went wrong? Um, When you look at uh, our run defense, in 2021, we were 20th. In 2022, we were second. We were the second best uh, PFF graded team when it came to run defense. So once again, from a process standpoint, we were doing very, very well. Um, when it came to pass rush in 2021, we were 16th. In 2022, we were 10th. Now, you know, that's not as much as I would prefer considering that you had Zedaria uh, Smith and Daniel Hunter, but you were still top 10 in pass rush. Um, we were fourth in tackling. 
Uh, and that's where uh, this next piece really uh, skews up this entire formula, and that's coverage. Uh, so when we're taking down what really went wrong, coverage was a, a very difficult thing in the 2022 season. And that's where we ended the year in the 18th position, um, which is the exact same as we were in 2021. So when you look at the statistical major, major categories between run and pass tackling, we were um, top two in most of those, or we were fourth, second, tenth, and fourth. Um, so we were doing pretty well process-wise, and then coverage, things fell apart. Now, obviously, coverage can mean a lot of different things. That's not meant to exclusively pull apart the cornerbacks or the safeties, although that was a very difficult category for the Vikings. Um, uh, we also had some difficulties because we had people playing out of character. Um, Daniil Hunter, for example, backed off into coverage. You had yep. a premier pass rush, hand-in-the-dirt type guy going into in, into a coverage set. Um, so obviously that can have a severe impact. But if you're analyzing what things go wrong, uh, coverage was definitely another big one. Um, so moving on from coverage, another big, big thing that really hit the Minnesota Vikings in a major way was penalties. Now, it may not necessarily seem at the surface level that we were by far and away a major penalty team because most people look at penalty more on offense. Like, hey, did you move yourself back instead of forward? You know, I think at least a lot of people that I know, they talk about penalty in an offensive standpoint. But defensively, we were 30th in, in most penalties taken or committed, um, which then uh, equates to essentially 111 of those uh, committed on our defense, which translates into yards as 926 yards because of penalty. That's mm -hmm. almost, I mean, that's very unacceptable. And I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but there was a fairly wide margin between, you know, the top uh, 20 and then the top, and then the, the last 30 or, you know, the last 10 or uh, 10 teams. So yeah. we had a significant number of, of penalties that moved us back. So when you think about what, what was causing issue and what was moving the other team forward, um, it wasn't always our defensive production it was it was our mistakes right uh and so that can yep. really have some some major impacts yeah. um so yeah so you got definitely penalties and when you break down i'm just gonna pull this up um the, the other thing too guys while you look for that um yeah you know with the penalties is a lot of times it's not just the yards that that gives up but it's a fresh set of downs right correct and yep. it's it's a backbreaker it, it's almost like i've always thought this about mobile quarterbacks you, you get a team in third and 11 or third and nine and you do everything right. And then the ball is snapped and you got great coverage and great rush and you flush them out of the pocket. And then that mobile quarterback runs for a first down. Mm -hmm. Like that is such a momentum killer. It's a backbreaker. Same thing on a defensive penalty, right? Yep. Where, you know, you get a pass breakup on a third down, but you get a roughing the passer call or you get a, yep. you know, a illegal contact. Mm -hmm. um, not only do, do they, get those yards but they get a fresh set of downs to then get more yards or maybe get points right yeah. so obviously a very key area to clean up you don't you don't want to be bad at anything but if you power ranked the things that you could be bad at like penalties is like you don't want to be bad at penalties that's really what you don't want to be bad at that's you know? a killer so yeah. yeah especially when committed on third down because like you mentioned even from a momentum standpoint uh you've already endured the in the the physical output to go through at least three downs at bare minimum if not more and now unless you commit a turnover uh, or you know create a turnover you're going to have to go at least three more downs again so if you're yeah. already exhausted that can be a real killer uh to every category when it comes yeah. to your defense on the field so um definitely a difficult um element um now in in terms of um kind of a, a positive thought um that i'd love your uh your thoughts on why this may be but we were the ninth least 
in red zone trips among the NFL when it came our de- it came to our defensive output, the ninth least. Um, so that meant we were uh, holding teams back from getting into the the red zone. Uh, you know more than a lot of teams in the NFL, which I think is a, is a, a nod to the the team, um, which is not something I would have considered considering we gave up a lot of big plays, but it showed that I think we uh, were able to shut down more often than not more than other teams when it mattered most. Interesting. Yeah, I, I'd have to look deeper into that. Um, also, I want to know, you know how they calculate that because I want to make sure that like if we're, if I'm on my own 40 and I throw mm-hmm. a touchdown pass against you, 60-yard mm-hmm. touchdown pass, did I get yep. into the red zone? Yep. You know what I mean? Because yeah, the Vikings gave up a lot of points and touchdowns. Yep. Um, but um, that notwithstanding, that is an interesting stat to me that you could give up so many points and so many yards but not have faced a lot of red zone possessions. It almost seems like a – like those are juxtaposed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'd be a fun stat to, to dial into. Also, um, in you talking about penalties, Giles, mm-hmm. it makes me want to do a study. I love I loved doing studies, mm-hmm. off-season studies and research, and I would volunteer when I was with the team my time to do that for coaches and, and for Rick. And they wouldn't always take me up on it. But whenever they did, I would jump right in and do it. Yeah. What they did with those, I have no idea. It might have been at the bottom of a wastebasket. It doesn't matter. It was good for my education, and it gave me access to data and film and stuff that helped enhance my my mind. But it makes me want to dive deeper into those penalties, Giles, and see how many scoring drives allowed by the Vikings were um, were extended because of penalties. You know? Um, it's like... Because if it's 10% or 11% or 12%, something like that, of your scoring drives allowed were, be- mm-hmm. were, were drives that included a penalty that gave the other team a first down, I mean, that's mm-hmm. you got some ground to stand on as the coach to stand up in front of the room and criticize them for you know, too many penalties. So it would be interesting for us to do a little deeper dive there. Yeah, ironically, we were actually 28th uh, in first downs by penalty in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had 22 all season. Um, the number one team had 38 and they were the Miami Dolphins, um, oh. were 38 first downs. Now, obviously, uh, penalties can happen on any down. Uh, they're still very, very difficult. Um, unfortunately, the data I'm looking at doesn't give um, yeah. statistics um, based on uh, uh, scoring um, in, in those drives, but uh, definitely felt like there was some, some big momentum drivers there. Um, which kind of translates into another category that I think is important to note, uh, and that is touchdowns versus pen, uh, uh, versus field goals. Uh-huh. Um, we actually uh, were eleventh in touchdowns allowed. So eleventh fewest. Yeah, eleventh okay. fewest. Yep. Um, but we were second, uh, or I'm sorry, second most in uh, field, field goals? goals allowed. Yeah. yeah. Second most. Um, so we gave up an unusual amount of field goals, uh, and that's by a fairly wide margin. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but we gave up uh, a very large number of field goals, which is both a, a commendation and a, a difficulty all in the same well. It, it is. It is. Getting a touchdown, but it, no, it, you're right, Giles. It is, but I, I've always something that I've always said, just not not necessarily with us on the show, but just when I watch football with people or. I probably say it to myself if I'm watching football alone, but you know, these teams that kick a bunch of field goals on like fourth and two, and they kick a field goal. It always kills me, especially when they're, when they're in like 
goal to go. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like fourth and goal from the three and they kick a field goal. Also, when it's like it's fourth and three and they try a 55 yard field goal. Mm-hmm. I'm like, field goals lose games, man. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I know it's great. People say, I just take the points. Just take the points. I get it. You want to take points when they come. That's right. You do, you know, but if you're kicking field goals when you're inside the 10 and if you're trying field goals that are 50 yards or longer, when it's fourth and two or three, you're making mistakes and the latter, you're making a judgment mistake, a decision-making mistake, uh, Mm -hmm. the former, uh, you're physically, you're not scoring, you're making physical mistakes by not scoring when you're that close. And and, and so what you said makes sense to me because we're talking about how poorly the Vikings defense played. However, mm-hmm. we all know this is an integrated game to use a term that you used last week, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was very good. And the Vikings win loss wise had a great season. Mm-hmm. And it's probably because some teams were kicking field goals instead of scoring mm-hmm. touchdowns against them. Right. Yep. So yep. Um, I think that's a really interesting stat. Second most field goals allowed uh, Minnesota Vikings. I wouldn't mind that I don't mind that stat. I think you give mm-hmm. up a lot of field goals. You probably win a lot of games, which yep. the Vikings did. So yep. um, reminds me of another stat guys uh, that I saw on social media this, uh, this weekend since 2021. So two full seasons. Now, no team yeah. has missed a PAT against the Vikings. Interesting. What do and you take like, away from that? I don't take much away from it other than bad luck. Okay. Yeah. Because there's mean, not a ton you can do to affect the kicker. I mean, you can try to throw some some mental edge against them, but it's not always 100% no, I effective. I think it's just bad luck. And I'm like, geez, yeah. the Vikings, I feel like Vikings fans c- can't even look at PATs. They, like like yeah. when Greg Joseph is out there, my wife turns away. You know, yeah. like she can't watch. I'm like, yep. oh. here goes the game again. Yeah, and um, it's like oh, these yeah. other teams make them like their layups, you know? Yeah, yep. Anyway, and I think I, that – I digress. Yeah. But. And I think that also goes into another uh, stat. Uh, we are eighth in most drives uh, per game. Um, so we yeah. allow more more drives per game uh, than any other team except for seven others. Um, so you face the most possessions, you're saying? Correct. The Vikings face, okay. Yep. And I think uh, statistically, even if you're the 49ers who have a fantastic defense, the more often you're on the field, the worse it's going to get, period. Because I think uh, exertion... Uh, affects defenses a lot more than offenses. Maybe you would disagree, but uh, there's a lot more pressure on the defense than there is in the offense. So the more you're on the field, the worse it's going to get. So I think um, if you're looking to go fix anything on uh, the 2023 game plan, uh, it might be getting the the offense to stay on the field a little bit more. And I thought we did fine from an offensive standpoint, but I think uh, from what that is saying, we we either turned the ball over too much or we scored too quickly. Um, where we did have pretty fast drives on offense. I think we are actually 28th um, uh, in, in in drive length, uh, or in our average uh, uh, time per drive. So, yeah. I don't know. Well, I think if you're scoring too quickly, that is not the issue. Because okay. I, I understand it's like you're making the defense go back out onto the field, and they're going to get – tired the more often they're out there i i agree with all that but if you're backing that up with points i think i think by definition you're also cutting them a break because if you're continuously scoring on offense or scoring too quickly you're putting pressure on the other offense Mm -hmm. and a lot of times when you're putting pressure on them to score you're forcing them to be 
more predictable or more one-dimensional, which makes it easier on your defense. I think the problem yeah. is if you're going three and out a bunch of times. Yeah, you know, that's very you, true. You know, that is where it's taxing on the defense. Yep. And and then sort of a related point is it, it is, and I think that I don't want to point, I don't want to single out the Tennessee Titans because it might be a little unfair to them, but they are the type of offense to me that is trying to be methodical and run the ball and chew clock and all of that. And the only issue with that type of philosophy is the more plays it takes you to score, the more chances you, you are taking or you're in, the more risk you're incurring on injury, penalty, mm -hmm. turnover, something bad happening. You yep. know what I mean? So I think you want to have a balance there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's, it's kind of weird to be like, oh, we scored too quickly there. Like, yeah. but but I, I do hear what you're saying. I mean, yep. your defense needs some time to rest. <laughs> yep. So, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but I, uh, I think uh, the stats may prove this out. Where I think there were a lot of scenarios where either the Vikings scored, they had a, a scoring drive, or they went in a three and out. There weren't yeah. very many drives um, from the eye test that resulted in something other than that. We didn't have very many uh, uh, drives that were eight plays deep, and then we we went to a third down and had to punt it away. Um, mm -hmm. If we could get the ball moving, we scored almost always, uh, but there were a significant number of three and outs as well. So I think you're hitting on something there. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Interesting. What else on defense that stood out to you? Um, so uh, when it came to, I'm just pulling this up here. Um, when it came to uh, the number of uh, uh, drives ending in score, specifically on the defense, we ended 28th. Um, uh, so we were essentially 41% of our, our defensive drives ended in a score for them, uh, yeah. for the opposing offense. The yeah. number one place was uh, the 49ers, and they had 25% of their drives ended in a score. So there's a pretty big margin there in terms of uh, uh, drives that ended in a score. Now, I wasn't able to do this analysis, but I think, once again, that may have resulted in a field goal, but it was still points on the board, uh, and that was a very difficult thing. Um, now, I could go through a lot of different categories. Um, for example, we were 11th in, in interceptions, um, so we were able to stay in some games due to interception on, on defense. I think that covered up a lot of inefficiencies, but when you're zooming out from a 3,000-foot view, um, when you looked at uh, the touchdowns by uh, rushing versus uh, receiving. Um, rushing was middle of the pack. Receiving, we did really, really bad. I think um, when you explore this offseason, we need to figure out a way to improve our coverage. And that, I think, uh, ends up in the middle uh, uh, part of the field as well as the, the secondary. Um, our linebacker room was simply not fast enough to be able to, to tackle some things. We did serviceable in the run game. I think uh, the 3-4 defense has an extra big body in the middle, so we were able to shore up our defense in contrast to where it was last year. But I think um, regardless of how we go tackle that, that is an objective for this offseason. How do we shore up our secondary? Um, because the game is a game of integration, like we mentioned before, and I think that had a tremendous impact on our pass rush as well. Yeah. Where if you watched a lot of snaps, Daniil Hunter and Zedarius Smith were getting home a lot. They were just getting home too late. Um, where it, the play didn't have enough time to develop, where the ball was already in the hands of the receiver, either literally or figuratively by the time we got home. And uh, I think that's more of an indictment on the secondary. So um, that can be player, that can be scheme, but that's definitely something to go uh, fix. Well, Giles and I are not lockstep in all things Vikings. Uh, there are many things that we will be, uh, yep. and there will be some things that we aren't. Um, in this one, though, Giles, defensively, we are. Mm -hmm. um, and that means that 
it'll probably be a theme for for the Wobcast 2.0 uh, this off season, talking about coverage. Mm-hmm. Because when I just if I if it's just like you gave me license to point a finger at a component of the defense that needs to get better blindly without digging into the data as you did just going off the eye test and watching games back and a little bit of tape here and there i would have been, i would have said coverage mm-hmm. and i think that late in the season when the vikings were giving up chunk plays to the jets and to the giants and to mac jones and the patriots that really was an indictment on the coverage mm-hmm. and whether you want to blame scheme and ideas or whether you want to blame players and ability whatever but it's got to get better and has to. i i don't ever remember a show of ours or a conversation at the supermarket or a stream of consciousness from myself in the shower where i'm lamenting the run defense or i'm lamenting the tackling or mm-hmm. i'm you know lamenting much mo- much of anything other than coverage i'm like it's mm-hmm. too easy it's too easy to throw against this defense so I have a, a feeling that we're going to talk a lot about that. And, mm-hmm. and I've, I was always told, and I know I'm not the only one who's heard this, but you know, past defense is a mix of Russian coverage. So mm-hmm. we can't only blame the corners and the safeties, which I know you've, you've stated already in this show, but I think that's a good place to start when you want to look at personnel to improve. Mm-hmm. I think, I think you should start there. And that improvement does not have to be new players, Giles. That improvement can be, development of, mm-hmm. of current players right yep. i think we've we've seen tremendous growth and a big surprise from a guy like duke shelley mm-hmm. you know Phenomenal. and i'm very curious to see if that staff can do what they did with duke shelley i wonder what they could do with the caleb evans mm-hmm. who andrew booth jr and andrew booth jr who you could fairly state may have more talent than duke shelley because of where they were drafted doesn't always mean you're going to be a better player, but it's safe to say you probably from a measurable standpoint, have more talent because Mm -hmm. you got drafted higher. So um, I'll be curious to see what this staff can do with, with those two corners in particular. I believe the ship has sort of sailed, or at least we, we know what he is when it comes to cam Dantzler, but maybe Mm -hmm. I'm wrong. Maybe you can get more out of him, but absolutely a Caleb Evans, absolutely Andrew Booth, and absolutely Duke Shelley are three players that you can develop. So it's not all about drafting and free agents. It's about developing players. But um, to sort of put a bow on this segment of, of, of episode one of season two here, drilling down on defense, uh, we want the coverage to get better, and it needs mm-hmm. to get better if the Vikings defense is going to play better. Agreed. All right, well um, – let, let's move on. I mentioned um, that in, in this episode, we would talk about something that we already know is defined, and that is the first step to fixing the defense. We already know what that is. That is hiring a new defensive coordinator because the Vikings have moved on from Ed Donatel. So there is an opening. I do not get a sense, Giles, that that opening will be filled from within. Um, and so, you know, there are assistant coaches on the staff. There's Mike Pettin. I don't get a strong sense that that's what's happening. I do get a strong sense. It's a guy coming from outside the building. Agreed. Do you disagree with that? I think if they were going to go internal, they would have already announced it by then. All right. Um, Especially from a cultural standpoint, they wouldn't want to be perceived as, oh, we're going to check out other players. Uh, We didn't like them. We're going to go with you. People internally would feel like an afterthought. And whether you like it or not, emotions play into people's performance, period. Um, And they seem like too much of a culture-focused organization to try to do that to someone. So I think it's almost exclusively an outside hire. All right. 
So with that being said, let's blend what you and I think would be best for the team with what we know Vikings Nation wants. Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing and seeing uh, from, from Purple Nation is they were not happy with play calling on defense. They want more aggressiveness, mm-hmm. which is no surprise. Have you ever heard a fan, a fellow fan say they want more passivity? No, they never want <laughs> never. more, right? So they want more aggressiveness. Now that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And, you know, I got into a, a fun Twitter discussion over the weekend where it's like, you, you don't have to call blitzes all the time to get pressure on the quarterback. You, you have to rush better. You can get there with four guys. There are teams mm-hmm. who are really good at sacking the quarterback who do not blitz a lot. In yep. fact, the 09 Vikings with Leslie Frazier as a coordinator got to the passer quite a bit. They did not blitz very often. They played no. Tampa two and they rushed with four down linemen. And that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Rush four, drop seven and got him to the NFC title game. So it's a dangerous uh, combination, actually, if you can do it that way, if you can get there. Yeah, abs- yeah, you're right. So uh, they, but they want more aggressiveness. They want more blitzing. They want more pass pressure. Um, and so I think that is <clears throat> if the fans perceive that the person the Vikings hire is going to be more aggressive and blitz a lot, they're going to be happy. And this is so ironic to me, Giles, because this is the same subset of people who didn't want Mike Zimmer around anymore. This is <laughs> no. what he does. Yep. Okay. So anyway, yeah, ultimately the master at it. <clears throat> right. Anyway, um, that's neither here nor there, or is it? Yeah. We might have a suggestion about that yeah. later on here in this discussion, but um, all right. There have been some names bandied about Giles for defensive coordinators. Let's go over them. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think the one that if you, if you did a fan poll, uh, the guy who would win is Brian Flores. Solid choice. Okay. I think so, he was honestly an amazing head coach, uh, even better defensive coordinator. Um, yeah. Obviously had some political issues when he was in Miami, but all politics aside, phenomenal coach. All right. So you're right. Uh, background, um, he, he would be one who would come from the, the Bill Belichick coaching tree. He coached mm-hmm. with Belichick in New England. And in fact, Vikings head coach Kevin O'Connell and Flores were both in New England with Belichick at the same time. O'Connell is a player. Flores mm-hmm. as a as a coach, assistant coach. So Flores goes on to be the Dolphins head coach. There is some controversy and acrimony there. He ends up uh, no longer being in Miami. Mike McDaniel is there, and Flores lands with the Steelers, where he I believe he was uh, he coached linebackers and was yep. an assistant head coach to Mike Tomlin. So yes. I think with Flores you would have sort of an attitude, a swagger, um, a vibe that players I think it would fit very well with players and fans mm-hmm. would love. That's what I think you have with him. You also, I believe, would have a guy who would run a 3-4 defense. Um, that's his background anyway, mm-hmm. so I just presume he would do that here. Yep. Um, so I, I think that's that's definitely a name to watch. Do you have any additional thoughts on Flores? Would you, for any reason, would you scratch a line through his name or would you entertain that option? I think you absolutely entertain it because at the end of the day, the the main objective is improving your defense. Obviously, you can you can wordsmith what needs to be improved uh, among the defense, which we happen to think is your your coverage and your secondary. Uh, but the point is the the primary objective is to improve the defense. And Brian Flores has proved time in and time out that he's an amazing uh, defensive mind. I do want to call out both on the field and off the field. Um, Off the field, I do think he is quite the opposite of uh, Ed Donatel. And maybe that is one of the reasonings of bringing him in. Ed Donatel was a a very culture-driven guy. Um, Obviously, one of the reasons that he was hired. 
uh, pretty much everyone you talk to calls him an amazing guy. He's a, an amazing guy on and off the field. He yeah. had some issues with performance, um, obviously, but a really, really nice guy. And I think a lot of descriptors among uh, Brian Flores as he's a very hard-nosed type person. Um, so you're going to get a, a much different style when it comes to defense. Now, to be explicitly yeah. clear, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I think the way you're going to coach offense may be different than the way you coach defense, um, but you are getting a very different person when it comes to defense. So something to be called out. And okay. I think uh, when it comes to on the field, um, correct me if you would disagree, I think in the, the kind of base defense that Brian Flores likes to run, although it is a 3-4 defense, he's a lot more um, man than he is zone. So it would be a little bit of a fundamental shift away from the, um, the Ed Donatel um, and Vic Fangio style defense, um, which then kind of equates to how you go attack the offseason if you're planning to run more man zone or man uh, uh, coverage uh, in contrast to zone that does kind of factor into the type of guys you need to have uh, and the way that you build your offseason protocol agreed I would guess based on background only that you the way you describe Flores is correct a lot of man less zone uh, definitely three four but again um, you would we won't know that until we see it, right? Yep. And that's something yep. that Kevin O'Connell and Quezzy have to figure out and decide what they want for a style and if, if and then decide if Flores can deliver that. Yep. Let me ask one, you this, though. Oh, no. Oh, no, yeah, no. go ahead. I was no, going to no. say one additional thing. Uh, I have heard Brian Flores described as the ultimate teacher, which I think is a phenomenal thing, especially for this group, because I think there was definitely a huge chunk of our um, our failures, so to speak, or areas where we didn't necessarily succeed that uh, were driven by the lack of experience, where we had a big portion of our defense that was used to running a 4-3, used to running man uh, coverage, and then they were asked to do something entirely different. And yeah. I think you could make a large argument that they were simply not prepared. So I think having a phenomenal teaching presence in the room, if you're going to stick with a 3-4 defense uh, and run a man zone, uh, could be a very valuable thing come 2023. Okay. All right. Interesting. La last thing on Flores before we move on to the other candidates. Would it bother you? He's uh, reportedly interviewing to be head coach of the Cardinals. And he's been a head coach before. So would it bother you? Would it factor into your decision at all to know that likely that that the best case scenario is that he comes in and generates great improvement for you? Mm -hmm. If that happens, which is great, he would be gone after one year. He'd be a head coach yep. next year, probably. So does that factor in for you? Like, does that bug you at all that it's probably a one year hire? I would say philosophically, it definitely bothers me, but I think that's a reality of being a good team. If you have any success in any category, they're going to get stolen away more than likely the next offseason. We yep. already have a, a pretty large percentage of our offensive staff that are being tapped to come interview in other places around the NFL. So it's simply a reality. If we're going to improve our team, you're going to lose coaches, okay. period. All right, great. Let's, uh, let's go to the next candidate, uh, and that is Sean Desai, who's got a background with the Seahawks, and if if that's all you look at, you would see a four three front, right? Because mm -hmm. that's that's largely what Seattle runs. However, I think Pete Carroll is a lot is very similar to Bill Belichick in that if you just simply looked at how many down linemen do they have, like Carroll is a is a four three guy and Belichick's mm -hmm. a three four guy. But if you talk to anyone who's worked with those guys, coached under them, played for them, they would tell you, yeah, but with Belichick, we had a lot of 4-3 principles. And with mm -hmm. Carroll, we had a lot of 3-4 principles. So I think Desai would have that ability to blend blend the concepts a yep. little bit. And 
I think that would be good for the Vikings, whose roster is in transition between these two schemes. So any thoughts on Desai? Yeah, uh, that's honestly uh, one of the number one reasons that I think he'd be the best candidate for the job, uh, because he's a huge culture guy, uh, but not a, a soft type of culture, a guy where he can't uh, issue bad news necessarily, yeah. um, but seeming like he'd be a, a great fit from a cultural standpoint. But more importantly, exactly like you mentioned, he understands both 3-4 and 4-3, and I think could blend that very well because that is something that does get overanalyzed in the NFL. You're either a 4-3 or you're a 3-4. Well, really, you run everything in pretty much every game. It's just a matter of what percentages are going to go where. You might be in a base defense 20% of the time, which if that's a 3-4 defense, you're in 3-4 formation uh, 20% of the time. Well, there's still 80% of the time when you're not there. Um, it's just a matter of how does that match up against the other team's base offense, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and seeing what those matchups look like. So uh, the point is you need to be able to manage both of those because um, there's downs where you're going to be in a 4-3 a formation, period. So being able to manage those effectively is very, very important. Um, but furthermore, he is a defensive backs guy. And mm -hmm. you know I don't want to necessarily be the guy that makes a, a major knee-jerk knee reaction, but coverage and secondary is where we are hurting the most. So I think it makes some logical sense to bring in a defensive backs guy to help bring that to life because um, it does depend on how we tackle our personnel in the offseason. But let's go down the route of us trying to keep as many of the existing front seven personnel as possible, or at least, you know, our front four, um, you know, you know, uh, including our edge rushers. Um, they're phenomenal uh, players, or at least above average in most categories. Dalvin Tomlinson, good to great player. Harrison Phillips, good to great player. Yep. Same thing with Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith, where I think if you're going to bring a focused person, I think part of it needs to be developing that secondary. So that's where um, Desai would be coming in in a, in a, in a very valuable category. Okay. Uh, good breakdown there. Uh, agreed with all of that. Let's look at a similar candidate in terms of profile and career arc, but a different candidate in terms of background specialty. And that is Ryan Nielsen of the saints. Mm -hmm. Who's got more of a background with defensive linemen. So mm -hmm. um, the advantages that you just stated about Desai and, and the back end of the defense are not there. However, it's flipped with having an advantage with some of the guys up front and Ryan Nielsen and a, the experience of a saints defense that has been very stout uh, mm -hmm. over the past five or so seasons. Right. Um, yep. And particularly their defensive line has been good. And the development of Cam Jordan in New Orleans, I think Ryan Nielsen clearly had a hand in that. So player development uh, with defensive linemen, I think you'd be in good hands with a guy like Ryan Nielsen, someone who's not been a coordinator before. And again, same sort of point in the career arc as Sean Desai. So mm -hmm. you just stated what you like about Desai, which would lead me to believe that you may not necessarily prefer Nielsen, but your take on Nielsen as a candidate. Yeah, I think he'd be a good cultural fit. Um, I think he, there's obviously different ways to crack an egg. If you're really trying to generate pressure and prevent passing downs, either you really have a stout secondary or have a stout uh, pass rush um, to help the other one out, right? So I think this could potentially be a category if you're able to maintain um, Daniil Hunter and Zedarius Smith on your team um, to build a good enough pass rush where it covers up more of your secondary. So although it wouldn't necessarily be the route uh, that I would take to fix things. I think there could be a route where if you're going to overemphasize uh, the the line that you could still have good results. But I think there is a, another conversation buried beneath this, and that is our edge rushing group. Although Daniil Hunter and Zedarius Smith all, all graded out above an 80 in PFF, every other edge rusher that we had 
performed actually pretty poorly. Um, Patrick Jones, the second did not have a pretty good season, although he had some flashes. Um, he ended the year at a 62.5 grade DJ Wanham, even worse. He ended the season at a 58.0, um, uh, uh, Luigi Villan, uh, was a below a 60 as well. So we have some issues when it comes to the edge, uh, edge rusher group. Um, if you take away our two stars. So I think if those, one of those two, if not both, have to leave the team for whatever reason, you might have an edge rusher problem. Um, so I think there's a chance that maybe that'd be a valuable thing if the team is looking on beyond this year. Interesting. Well, I think those are the top three candidates uh, for now anyway, Giles, Flores, mm-hmm. Desai, and Nielsen, but there are others to consider. Uh, the Denver Broncos are an interesting one to me because I think their defense was pretty dang good last year, mm-hmm. but they have a change at head coach. And so you mm-hmm. never know what's what's going to happen. You might have very good, solid coaches who uh, are not asked to come back because you got a new head coach coming in. Mm-hmm. However, that organization uh, may decide, hey, even though this isn't one of your guys, he's a young rising star coach, so we're going to keep him. Mm-hmm. Um Escher Evero is an example of that. He was the Broncos defensive coordinator this past season, but we don't know if he's going to be back or not. Now, mm-hmm. it will not surprise me if the Broncos keep him. Um, however, um, if someone comes in there, like say a Sean Payton comes in there, and he's already got his staff figured out, let's say. A guy like that could be on the street and could be available. Uh, Joe Witt Jr., Vic Fangio, Raheem Morris, mm-hmm. Lovey Smith, examples of coaches with some track record on the defensive Mm -hmm. side of the football who could be considered. Uh, And then another example of a young coach without much of a track record or experience being a coordinator who I've heard mentioned, not specifically to the Vikings, but in general is uh, Jared Mayo, who used Mm -hmm. to play for the Patriots, but now coaches for the Patriots. So some more names to bandy about there have not heard a lot of uh, Vikings fans mention those individuals. Um, but I think those are all sort of like second tier or, um, you know, um, second tier conversation pieces to this job uh, behind Flores, Desai, and Nielsen. Any other names uh, that you want to throw into the ring? So I have a couple thoughts, and I'm going to okay. talk about the first one related to the Broncos, uh, because there's a tremendous amount of steam about Sean Payton taking over as head coach. Yes. Well, before that steam, there was other steam, and that was the fact that he had already put together his coaching staff. Uh-huh. Like, it was already prepped and ready to go. It was ready to be plugged and played. And the the going away favorite was Vic Fangio as his defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings uh, a potentially interesting scenario, considering that Vic Fangio was the head coach last year. Or, you yeah. know, in, in, in 2021. And so that would be him coming back to his former team as a defensive coordinator. Now, Vic oh, Fangio wow. is yeah. a phenomenal defensive mind and supposedly was already picked by Sean Payton. So you have an un, uh, unstoppable force meets an immovable object. What happens there? Wow. Um, which, so the team yeah. fires the guy from its being its head coach, hires a head coach that doesn't go over very well, and their next head coach has the old head coach on his staff and comes back to the team. Wow. Yeah, which translates directly into my next hottest take. Oh, boy. I think in 2022, or 2023, rather, the Minnesota Vikings should bring back Mike Zimmer. Oh, my. (laughs) I mean, tell me I'm wrong here. Let's break this down logically. I know that sounds a little bit outlandish (laughs) because it was a very tenuous departure. Um, But if you analyze all the available people in the open market that are great at defense... He has to be towards the top of the well, list. Well, yeah, right. Yes, he is. So, yeah, if you go blind resume, right, 
no, yeah. no, no face or name on the resume and just credentials. Yep. Yeah, you should hire Mike Zimmer. Duh. He's a defensive backs coach that is amazing at blitzes. I mean, he is one of the best minds over the last 25 years at exotic blitzes. <laughs> oh, my um, God. And you can make an argument that before the last two to three years of his tenure as Vikings head coach, when he was able to truly focus on the defense, we had some of the best defenses, not only in the given year that they were playing, but in NFL history. The double A gap blitz was phenomenal. Um, he was still able to, to coach the, the corners. Obviously, there were some distractions later on in his tenure that I thought took his way, uh, his attention off of the defense. But if you're looking at the best defensive minds to plug and play, Dene- uh, 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 Zimmer is one of the top, in my opinion. I, I think I would, I would, I would, uh, I would pay a mortgage payment to be on the like a fly on the wall or to have my ear to the phone for that conversation. Uh, whoever at the Minnesota Vikings would have to pick up the phone to make that call. I would, I would give a mortgage payment to hear the guy. Seriously. The, to hear Zimmer's response to that. That is phenomenal. But well, so yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I don't think it's realistic. Like I <laughs> Let's really go down don't. to his ranch and ask him. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. I mean, good I know trip. a guy who would know how to get there. So, yeah. <laughs> um, however, like, However realistic I think it is, Giles, I do think that the take is rooted in logic and is well-intentioned. I mean, because you're right. Like, what you want them to be good at, the Vikings defense, to get good at again, he he can do that. Yep. You know? He's able to truly focus on it. And isn't it fair to say that the only reason Zimmer is no longer head coach of the Vikings – well, isn't it fair to say that there is not one reason he's no longer head coach of the Vikings? I mean, it's a cocktail of problems that lead to a coach being asked to leave, right? Correct. It's yep. not just because he forgot to coach defense or the defense played poorly. I mean, Correct. there's a lot of things going on there. There's acrimony with the quarterback, perhaps. Yep. There yep. were maybe disagreements about where to allocate salary cap or cash uh, yep. on the roster. Like, there's just a lot of different things going on, right? Yep. So. I think through uh, the first couple seasons, he was able to truly focus on defense because he found offensive minds to be able to effectively run the offense, which is yeah. something a proper uh, head coach is able to do, um, or at least you know, finding those right people. And then the moment Kirk Cousins came in, I think our, our offense started to decline. Our, obviously, our cap uh, uh, scenario was a lot different than the years before. So I think he was required to take his, his attention off of defense and try to help out with the offense, an yeah. area that wasn't necessarily his, his forte. But I think that was really the moment where our defense started to decline when he took his true focus off of it. So yeah. if you don't put offense on his plates and have him focus on defense, I really think you're able to get a phenomenal result. And he already knows the existing players and understands their strength and strengths and weaknesses. So I think there could yep. be a true amazing category there, but uh, you might be right. It's not possible. Well, I, I really don't think it's it's plausible at all, but I do appreciate <laughs> the thought. And I I honestly think if you, like I said, if you did blind resume, I mean, mm-hmm. he, he would be up there with Flores as like co-favorite or mm-hmm. it, there, you, there'd be like two different camps and they both have compelling arguments and you just got to choose which one you prefer. It'd be Flores and Zimmer. I mean, yep. it's a great way to look at it. And uh, I think it'd be awesome to see it. Yeah. But I don't think we're going to see it. <laughs> yeah. 
which then goes into my next candidate. Um, uh, I think uh, this arguably may be my favorite, although he's not necessarily oh. being formally considered right now. Really? Uh, so hold on. So there's a candidate okay. that we haven't spoke of yet that you maybe like the most? Uh, that's not being formally considered. You did mention okay. him earlier, though. Oh, okay. Uh, who is it? And that is Raheem Morris. Ah, okay. Uh, so a buddy of mine in high school ended up going into the Navy SEALs. And uh, one of their big shticks is that um, they're big on trust. Like trust is paramount. If you okay. had to line up the best Navy SEAL on the planet that you maybe don't necessarily fully trust. Not saying you don't trust him, but there's not the trust built. Yep. And yep. then someone that is middle of the road capable, but you trust inherently they'll always take the one with the most trust. And that's where I think Kevin O'Connell and Raheem Morris, from what I've heard, have a very great rapport together. And that's also not to say that Raheem Morris is a bad coach. I think he's a phenomenal coach. So when you pair that that great chemistry between Kevin O'Connell and Raheem Morris and a great pedigree when it comes to defense, that's where I think, that's what I want to throw my chips onto. If you want to improve the defense, you need to be able to have candid conversations between the offensive uh, coach and the defensive coach. And I think you're going to get the best output with those two, period. All right. So honestly, I'll, I mean, Zimmer is my favorite candidate that you've talked about. <laughs> um, I am very interested in the Raheem Morris idea, Giles. Um, for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned, um, he's, a, he's got a defensive backs background however he has also coached wide receivers mm-hmm. um he's definitely a defensive guy but he's coached yep. wide receivers he's also been a head coach before mm-hmm. so i think i think there's a really great advantage to having a former head coach on your staff in a coordinator mm-hmm. position because it doesn't allow you to be lazy and ignore that side of the ball but it's like trust is really important as you just talked about. And I think you're more likely to trust that person. Mm -hmm. So, um, really interesting idea, probably the idea I like the most, if I had to, ah, I don't know. I think Morris, Raheem Morris and Brian Flores are, are like equal candidates in my mind in terms of like quality outcome. And you got this guy or that guy, I'd feel like equally the same about both. Yep. I'm more intrigued with Morris from a cultural camaraderie just vibe standpoint i'm more interested in that than i am in flores i truly think brian flores is a one year higher yeah agreed i i even if it's like your middle of the road on defense next year i think he's going to be a candidate for to be a head coach next year yep and i'm not saying that raheem morris won't be i'm just saying it's far less likely that he would be uh i'm sure raheem wants to be a coach again a head coach Mm -hmm. again and he very well, very, very well may get there, but I think Flores is getting there first. So I'm more interested in the Raheem Morris one, and then a caveat um, with Raheem Morris that take this for what it's worth. Um, the Vikings in 2012 coached the Senior Bowl. They were the North Squad coaches of the Senior Bowl, and. Um, that same year, the Washington Redskins, who are now the commanders, but then they were the Redskins, were coaching the South team. Mm-hmm. I believe that it was Mike Shanahan who was the head coach of the Redskins at that time because mm-hmm. his son, Kyle, was definitely the offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. And Raheem Morris was on that staff as well. So I spent the week in Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl, which mm-hmm. I ordinarily would have done in my role with the Vikings covering the team for Vikings.com. Yep. But specifically that year, I had 
um, an elevated role because our director of public relations at the time, Bob Hagen, who is still with the Vikings and is one of my dear friends, uh, works the Super Bowl for the NFL every year. And mm -hmm. so the Senior Bowl is happening at the same time that prep for the Super Bowl has ensued. So he had to be at the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So I fulfilled some of Bob's duties down in Mobile um, as the pseudo PR guy, in addition to my content roles for Leslie Frazier, who was coaching the senior bowl because he was the Vikings head coach at the time. So long story shorter, I, I got to interact and I got to know both Raheem Morris and Kyle Shanahan quite well, uh, just from being in meetings with them, from being in sideline conversations with them, uh, talking about logistics and weather and practice and how, what are we going to press releases and what are we going to tell reporters and what times a press conference. And then from a social standpoint of going out for a beverage after you know, the work is done or going to a community event or whatever. So anyway, both of those of those guys are great guys and they were very enjoyable to be around. And Raheem Morris has great, um, like he's just got charisma. I think he's mm -hmm. got leadership traits. I think he's got charisma. I don't think he takes himself too seriously. And I think he's got the ability to get along with someone, even if he doesn't have a level of expertise and their their area, he can mm -hmm. get along with that guy. He can get along with the offensive lineman. He can get along with the punter. He can get mm -hmm. along with the equipment guy, even though mm -hmm. he's the off offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. So yep. um, I'm very intrigued by the Raheem Morris idea. Well, and apparently a lot of the, the Los Angeles Rams coaching staff were given permission to seek jobs elsewhere. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know if that was in preparation for the, the retirement of the head coach and now that's been withdrawn, but if that is true, Raheem Morris is at the top of my list. If he yeah. is releasable, uh, he's the guy to go after. So I think that'd be the only reason that he wouldn't come over to the Vikings, if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, is that he doesn't have permission to come over here. Okay, interesting. Well, I'd love to see that. It would be interesting to see how that unfolds. Now, we, um, we'll be back next Monday with another episode of the Wobcast, and the Vikings may have a defensive coordinator hired by that point, and it'd be mm -hmm. fun to talk about it. If not, uh, we'll continue this speculation on who the defensive coordinator will be because uh, we have identified it as the most important step right now to fixing the Vikings defense is you got to figure out who the boss is, mm -hmm. what the scheme is and what the style is. And then you got to go get players who can fit that. Mm -hmm. And then you got to develop your current players into the roles that are needed in that style and that scheme. So mm -hmm. um, we'll be very interesting to see what happens. Those are our opinions on who they should be. Uh, and there are other topics to move on here to, uh, to discuss about the Vikings defense. Any last items though, on the coordinator guiles. No, uh, well, hopefully we can get the best guy available and uh, continue the, the chase for the championship next year. I hope so too. All right. So um, whoever that person is though, um, we will then know if it's a four, three or a three, four, and then mm -hmm. we will know uh, what to do on, on the personnel side of things. Mm -hmm. I think any sort of discussion about what to do with um, individuals that we're going to talk about right here in the next segment is it's predicated on who's the coordinator. So yeah. with that being said, let's have a brief discussion about some of these players and what the Vikings should do with them mm -hmm. from a PFF grades, individual performance standpoint, Giles, is there anything that's obvious to you with Harrison Smith or Patrick Peterson or Eric Kendricks or Daniil Hunter or Zadarius Smith that needs to happen? Um, 
I want to come at it from that standpoint because if if we can if we can just get out get out of the way the things that regardless of who the coordinator is, we know this is what they should do with this person. Let's yeah. let's let's put that one behind us. So is there anything that sticks out to you in that way? Yeah, I think two two really big ones. The first in the safety position, although I love Harrison Smith, he's a ring of honor, definite uh, in the Minnesota Vikings. I think uh, he's all but uh, had his last snap as a Viking. Um, okay. He has a tremendously high cap hit next year. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe that a lot of it is cuttable if we're able to either trade or cut him. Um, yep. And he had a pretty substantial um, uh, decline in performance in this past year um, where he wasn't the player he once was. Um, okay. He's a phenomenal Hall of Fame level player in his heyday, but every player declines eventually and he has reached that point. Uh, but more importantly, Josh Metellus specifically has risen up in phenomenal ways. He ended the season with an 85.1 PFF grade um, with just about 300 snaps. So it's not like he played twice. He played a a fair amount of snaps and played at a very high level for all of them. Um, So I'm an advocate for replacing Josh Metellus into the Harrison Smith role immediately. And once again, I'd say this to his face if he was standing in front of me, all due respect to everything you've done for this team. You've been a phenomenal player, um, but the time has come for us to switch those things out. If you're looking at it logically, Josh Metellus um, has earned himself a starting role and Harrison Smith has played his way out of one. So I think yep. immediately let's uh, cheapen the position and let's get better at the position all in the same move and let's put Josh Metellus into the starting role. Um, right. So you have a um, guy, I'll step in here quickly before you move yeah. on to the next one because you said there were two, right? And this yep. was your first one. So yep. um yeah, it's 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 a cap hit of of close to twenty million. Yeah. Okay. It's a big one. So you can't do that. No. So what what you're looking at here is a contract extension that had been done a couple of times, and you kick the can down the road and push cap hits to future years, right? So you cut mm-hmm. them, and it's dead cap of eleven point seven million. So mm. I guess it comes down to if if you want him from an ability skill and leadership standpoint can you get him to take a pay cut close to 12 million that's what you have to do mm-hmm. if you're wishy-washy on ability skill and even wanting him then it's it's absolutely you're moving on from him and you're you're cutting him or you're you know you're finding a way to you're going to you're still going to take a hit mm-hmm. um you know, but at some point you got to do that with a guy like Harrison Smith, who's, mm-hmm. you know, a franchise guy and you're going to keep paying him and do right yep. by him. At some point you got to take a hit to get out mm-hmm. of it. So, yep. um, maybe you could like trade it's... him, trade him to a different scheme and try to say he had a down year. Cause I mean, maybe I, I oversold it, but he did end the year at a 69.1, which for Harrison Smith is a huge decline, but it's still, slightly above average as a safety um now it's a lot for a 22 million dollar safety um but maybe you could try to convince some team that is safety desperate to take him and take on that cap hit um but that could be uh, one of the angles to try to adjust that room but if you can get him to take a pay cut he's definitely a homer guy i mean you can you know him a lot better than i do so if you know that hey that's not him that's not a route say so but maybe you could say hey if you want to retire as a viking we need you to take a pay cut yeah well, from what I can see, Giles, you can release him and designate it a post June first, and then mm-hmm. it's a four million dead cap hit this year, but it's mm-hmm. an eight million dead cap hit next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, same thing with trading him, basically. Um, yeah. And again, we're we're delving into some wa- you know we're we're navigating some waters here that you you kind of have to be an expert to talk 
to talk about it with much detail and accuracy. Yeah. So yeah. we'll leave it at that. Yeah. But suffice it to say, you're you're talking about a great player historically, mm-hmm. a currently a great guy and a great leader mm-hmm. who is naturally declining with time and age and is very expensive, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So um, it is a tough decision and emotionally, but logically it kind of feels to us like it's a clear cut decision and we will see what the team does. Is that fairly stated? Fairly stated. And the last thing on that point, uh, when it comes to fixing the defense and more importantly, fixing the secondary, one of the big things that I've seen uh, that has relayed to our defensive difficulties is speed. Uh, Harrison Smith used to be a real fast guy and he has declined significantly in that category. So if you can upgrade in speed, I think you automatically upgrade in defensive performance, even if their performance is middle of the road, simply being faster, not even to do with anything with their performance, but simply being faster will do a lot better for our uh, defensive output. So um, that's where I'm really excited to see uh, Lewis Seen come back on the field. I mean, he only got two snaps the entire season, so it's impossible to say whether he's good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, but if he can be what he was when he was at Georgia, um, which was a more of a 4-3 uh, type defense, um, I'm really excited to see that because I believe, uh, correct me if I'm, I'm misremembering, but out of the first 10 yards of the 40-meter the dash for his um, combine, he was the fastest in, in history. Like I remember in the first 10 yards, he was yeah. phenomenal. So Lewis Seen yeah. is definitely someone you want to keep an eye on if you compare him with Josh Metellus. If if Lewis Seen can come on the field and be phenomenal day one um, in his second year, there's a chance that we could have a top 10 or a top five safety unit considering how well Josh Metellus has played. Okay. Uh, I have stated before on the Wobcast 2.0, I'm a big Josh Metellus guy myself. So um, I don't think he's currently even close to as good as Harrison Smith. And I don't know if he'll ever be that good, but that's a high bar to achieve anyway. So I think Mm -hmm. if you're 80% as good as Harrison Smith for six or seven years, you're a great player. Uh, So uh, that's that, that room has the potential to be very young and very Mm -hmm. fast. There will be growing pains with that combination of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can absorb those growing pains, get around them, coach them up. Um, I think you will have benefited from going that direction. Agreed. Uh, so we will see what happens. Okay. You said there were two Harrison Smith was the first. What's the second Eric Kendricks, another yeah. guy I would put in the same category as Harrison Smith, a Homer guy, phenomenal guy on and off the field has done amazing things in purple. Um, but unfortunately he's experiencing the same issues. He's gotten old and he's gotten slow, very intelligent player, but simply his body is not keeping up with his mind. And this is another one of those scenarios where I'm not just trying to call out a problem. I want to also want to bring a solution. And that is uh, Brian Asamoah. Uh, thankfully, we we're able to draft very, very well in that category. Uh, Brian Asamoah ended the year at a 78.8 PFF grade, and he played, you know, almost 150 snaps. So not a ton, but also not not nothing either, and played uh, pretty well in most of those categories. And he's another uh, character that is very fast, uh, uh, an element that we definitely need in our middle linebacker room. Um, and uh, when you contrast the the above average, if not better, uh, performance with Brian Asamoah uh, and the the declining nature of Eric Kendricks, Eric Kendricks is also a massive cap hit next year. So the idea is let's get better and let's get cheaper all in the same motion. Um, whether you're talking about the safety position or the middle linebacker room, uh, we need to experience both of those considering uh, the other things that are happening on this team. 11.4 million cap hit in 2023 guiles. And I, yep. from what I'm reading, um, it's not a huge, it's, there's not a lot of dead cap if you wave them. So mm-hmm. 
um, seems very likely that this is something the Vikings are strongly going to consider here yeah. uh, in the offseason for all the reasons you mentioned um, on top of some others based on who the new coordinator is. New coordinator comes in and doesn't stand on the table for him, you know, increases the chances that he would be out. He's 31 years old already. Uh, yeah, or you know, the quick. 2023 season will be his 31 year old season. So yeah. he's not a spring chicken young pup anymore. Um, yeah. I still think he's got a place in the league for someone. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that the Vikings pro the, the, the Vikings defenses profile. I don't know should include someone like Eric Hendricks right now from just where he's at in his career arc and how much it costs to keep a player of his caliber and accomplishment. I just don't know if that, the Vikings should include him. Uh, I'm kind of siding with you on that. And I was very discouraged about his performance and the way he looked late in the season. And I thought the the playoff game against the giants only exacerbated that very obvious uh, reality to me. Uh, I mean, the giants are very horizontal offense and he really had a hard time getting to the right spot. He knew where to go. He just had a hard time getting there in time. And honestly, another kind of overarching conversation that's going to occur over this entire offseason is the the balance of both cap hit and performance. And although both are very, very important, I want to make sure I'm being clear on my position. I will always value performance first. Um, just because I can lower a cap hit somewhere doesn't mean I'm willing to get worse. Um, if you have a, a, a high performing right. player with a high cap hit, I'd much rather have that than the other way around. Um, so the fact that they're declining in performance means that's the time to get rid of the cap hit. If he was performing still great, I'd be okay having, having him make a lot of money. Although that's not where I would have spent that money originally. Um, I'm always, almost always going to pursue high performance, even if it means a high cap hit. But now that that performance is going down, that's definitely the time to get rid of the cap hit. Um, cause I've seen a lot of different, yep. uh, national media say, Oh, it's a really high cap hit, so We need to get rid of him. And I, I don't think that should always be the first position. I think it should always be performance first yep. cause there's ways to manipulate the cap to get it to where you need it to go over the course of, you know, seasons. Um, where do you sit with Patrick Peterson? That's a great question. Um, I definitely think we need to be drafting corners in the draft again, which I feel like we're having this conversation every year from the moment it became a joke under Zimmer, like, oh, you can't always draft cornerbacks. Now it became an issue where we need to draft cornerbacks. Um, and, uh, I definitely think Duke Shelley is on, on a starter role. If we can resign him, a lot of people are saying, Hey, he should be the starter it does go with an asterisk that we do need to sign him. He is a free agent right now. So there's a chance that he could get paid a dollar higher than we're willing to spend. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on, um, which I think definitely uh, then translates into who, do, who else do you bring back? So if you can keep Shelley, then obviously you need one other starting cornerback. Uh, and uh, I really struggle with Cam Dantzler because um, I've been rooting for him for a long time, but now that he's gone through two uh, personnel sets between the Zimmer regime and the Kevin O'Connell regime, he's had issues with both. And I haven't been in the room, so I don't want to necessarily speak for what's exactly going on, but that is a leading indi- leading indicator for me that something else is not perfect. Um, so that tells me that maybe you should be pursuing another um, outside starting cornerback. Yeah. He's actually, from what I can tell, he's not as expensive as you might assume he would be given his credentials where he was drafted and his profile. Mm-hmm. However, I think it, the decline in ability and production is 
precipitous. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's part of the reason why it was so easy to get chunk plays against the Vikings, I think, was because Peterson just isn't what he used to be, you know? Yeah. And, like, yeah. because he has so much natural talent, experience, and wisdom, I think he can, like, it's a lot like for anyone who follows golf, like when Tiger Woods goes back to Augusta, it's like he's played that course so many times. He's won there so many times. He's so confident there mm-hmm. that he can play it a lot better than someone else with Tiger's age, injury history, and a current ability would be able to play it because he's got mm-hmm. all the intangible yeah. uh, qualities. And that's what Peterson has. However, over the balance of a season, you know, 800 snaps, 700 snaps, I just, I, I think that's a weak point. And you mm-hmm. got to get better there. And if you're not getting better there, I don't think you're getting better as a defense. I think it's a bad sign for your defense. So another hard decision perhaps is to let him go. And it'd be great if you could say, no, we're going to keep him, keep him in the room. He's a good leader and all that. But it's like, but I mean, you're not going to make him inactive. Like Peterson's not going to stick around here to be inactive on game days, you know, nope. and you only get so many guys active on game days. So you can't, you know, do right by him by not making him embarrass him and, and, make him active, but then not play him. Cause now you're yep. wasting a roster spot. So. I, yep. And you I don't make him cornerback three either. Right. You don't, I don't bench Patrick Peters. I mean, if you could, that'd be best case scenario if he was your backup, but where he's yeah. still active, but and dressed, but not the, the starting cornerback, but yeah. definitely an issue because I think, although he played fairly decent this year, I think we kind of papered over his position to accentuate what he was good at versus uh-huh. if we can find another cornerback that can have a higher ceiling, that would almost always be the best case scenario, right? Where yes, um, there's sure. a lot of cornerbacks that I'd, I, uh, uh, Patrick Peterson, I would want a lot more than a lot of other quarterbacks, but the priority is to make this better where if we can't improve it, then I say, bring him back. If we're not confident in the cornerback room uh, when it comes to the draft, um, bring him back. Cause we definitely want to, don't want to get worse in that category, but the priority is getting yep. better. All right, so um, what we set out to do here uh, on the very first part of this segment um, as we drilled down on the Vikings defense and talk personnel was we know there's a big variable, a big elephant in the room, and that is who's going to be the coordinator, and that will dictate what happens with a lot of the personnel. But we wanted what we wanted to do was identify some decisions that needed to be made regardless of who the coordinator was. And so that's where we talked about Harrison Smith, Eric Kendricks, and Patrick Peterson. Is there anyone else, Giles, who fits that profile before we move on and identify the guys who we aren't going to stand on the table for or against until we know who the coordinator is? Because I think there's two or three of those guys. But is there anyone in this former category where it's like, no matter who the coordinator is, this is what you should do with that player? Um, I don't know if there's an automatic... What do we do with this player? Um, but I do think it is a uh, question number one when you sit down with a defensive coordinator, when you ask them a whole slew of questions about what you want to do. One of those is, what do you do with the deal hunter? Do we keep yep. him? Do we move on so with him? To me, he's he's the well. Well, to me, he's the number one. He's the number one player that we should talk about once we know who the coordinator is. Yeah. That's when you yep. and I can talk about mm-hmm. what should happen with Hunter. Um, you know, so because I, there is a scenario Giles where I would say, no, you gotta, you gotta keep Hunter. He's on the mm-hmm. team. You gotta keep him, and you gotta find a role for him. Mm-hmm. Depending on who you hire. I might mm-hmm. say that about Daniel Hunter, but if you hire 
a different type of person to come in mm-hmm. here and run the show on defense, I might be saying, who who wants Hunter? Who can you trade mm-hmm. him to? Yep. Seattle, New Orleans, LA. So to me, it's hard to talk about Daniil until I know who the coordinator is. Yeah, do you feel that way or do you think you, okay. I feel uh, in, um, entirely in agreement because uh, it depends on your game plan with him. There is a route to having him be very successful on this team, but it does require the right coordinator and the right scheme. Okay. Um, two, two more names then that I want to bring up who I would say similar things about, and that would be Daniel's running mate, Zadarius Smith. Yep. I understand the investment required uh, if you want to keep Zedarius. It is a massive cap hit of 21.6 million. Yeah. Um, that's huge. So, you know, easy to say, uh, yeah, he's gone. We'll save that money. Now, you don't save all of it. There's some dead cap involved. But, mm-hmm. you know, Zedarius, before he got hurt, I think was a difference maker for you. And yeah. so... Number one in pressures for a very, while. Yeah, it's very plausible that you get a Flores in here or Raheem Morris or someone who's going to run a 3-4. It's very plausible that you're going to extend Zedarius somehow. Yep. Find some cash somewhere. Yep. Give him some cash. Push his cap hit down the road. Absorb yep. it later. Yep. And you run with Zedarius as your guy, right? Yep. Because if you're Brian Flores, if you're just trying to walk through this logically, and you analyze the current roster and the ability to make moves this offseason, which – any team can do, but there's a limit to how many moves you can make and who you can draft in the draft. Um, yeah. Going back to our original statement, what do you hang your hat on? If I need to have a an elite strength here, where is it? And I don't necessarily see our secondary going from worst to first overnight. Um, even if you could draft a sauce gardener, I don't think your secondary is going from worst to first, period. You can get better, yeah. don't get me wrong, but if you want to be elite in a category, I truly think having your defensive line be elite is the easiest plausible route, which then I think yeah. requires you to keep both players. Now, obviously, you need to do some maneuvering and, and really explore what does that look like to exploit both of their strengths, but I think that is the easiest route, quote-unquote, to becoming elite. Okay, agreed. Um so let's table our discussion on Zedarius and Daniil for now. The last yep. one I want to bring up though, and I get a sense that we may be on opposite ends of this one. Let's okay. see if I'm right or not. Um, is Jordan Hicks. Mm. Have you Jordan already Hicks. made your decision on what to do with Jordan Hicks or are you interested to see who the coordinator is before you make that decision? Um, I think a coordinator has to do a lot with what you do with pretty much every player. But if I'm leaning one way or the other, I'm leaning towards getting rid of him. I drew, I like Jordan Hicks a lot. Um, I think he's a tremendous tackler, does great in pass rush, which is not something we necessarily used him a lot for. Um, great stout player, but very slow. And I think if you're going to maintain this existing scheme and build on it, I think you have all but written him off. If you're going to move to a different scheme, maybe there's a place for him, but he's very slow. And I think that's an area where uh, we need to improve this offseason is speed. Um, Now, I could be talked into keeping him, but I think if you're leaning one way or the other, I think he is no longer to be in purple. All right. I'm not right now. I'm not going to try to talk you into keeping him. Okay. Because I want to see what they're doing on defense and what the plan is. Okay. But I think I'm going to be on the side of keeping him. And the main argument for it is I don't want to have a fear-based argument because you should never operate out of, you know, fear, like, Mm -hmm. but is it's the, then what, 
If not Hicks, then what? And That's I want to know what the plan is behind him. And I'm not saying the cupboard is bare at inside linebacker at all, mm-hmm. but I would be on the side of moving on from Kendricks. Um, and so that sort of strengthens Hicks position, I believe, for one more year on the roster. I um, can definitely hear that argument, uh, especially if you move on to Brian Osimo, who will be, for all intents and purposes, still a rookie, uh, keeping some experience on that level. Um, so you can't be um, as easily exploited by a good quarterback recognizing a brand new middle linebacker room. So I'll, I'll definitely hear that argument. Yeah. Unless you can find a replacement that's better, like we were mentioning before, then he's yes. worth keeping. So, yeah. okay. And so on that topic though, Giles, I don't think it will be hard to go to the market and find an upgrade over Hicks. However, I think it's, it will cost you. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It, it will cost you. So, and Hicks isn't free. He's six. Nope. I think his hit is six and a half million. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a sensible number for a guy like Hicks. Like that, that's a good signing at the time for the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I applauded it. Yeah. So I think he came in here and he did exactly what the Vikings hoped he would do. And, um, but I think we need more, we need to, we need some variable, we need some variables to turn into knowns before we know what to do with Hicks in my view. So I, I put him in there with Zedarius and Daniil as I need to know what the plan is before I decide what to do with Hicks. Yep. Uh, I agree. And I think that should be spread across the entire roster. Like if we can do better, let's do it. But recognizing even in the quarterback position, a lot of people are saying uh, the uh, the check down in fourth and eight, let's get rid of him. All right. Well, then yeah. what is next? Right. Because uh, you might be wasting a few years of Justin Jefferson's time if you choose to get way worse at that category. Right. Yep, um, yep. So I think it's important to note that across every position, like let's try to improve. But if you cannot improve, then uh, then maybe let's let's stay put. Um, yep. Yeah, I think that's a, a very valuable wise comment. So another thing I wanted to, uh, to talk about in this segment, guys, we've we've sort of already hit on, and that is who on the roster do you want to elevate? Um, mm-hmm. And and you've talked about some of your favorites, um, and so have I. So I think we can sort of move on from this one, but I did want to want to broach the topic in case there was someone who has not yet been mentioned. And you mentioned Asamoa. We both are on Metellus and Duke Shelley. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't touched a lot on the interior. Although I, I must say there's no one that I'm super excited about either on the interior. Uh, I'm excited about a Caleb Evans. Uh, I'm excited about Duke Shelley. Um, and I know you're excited perhaps about Andrew Booth. So mm-hmm. I think I think we've hit on a lot of these young guys that we hope are elevated, but I did want to broach it in case there was someone we haven't mentioned yet on defense. I think someone that's in for a decent next year would be uh, Kyrie's Tonga. Uh, he had a pretty good year. There was definitely some some downs. I don't want to say he was elite in every category, uh, but he showed some real good flashes um, where he had some unfortunate plays that really dinged him in tackling, which is yeah. definitely something you have to shore up when you're in an interior defensive lineman. But every other category, I mean, he ended the year at a 77.9 PFF grade when he played almost 300 snaps. So um, that's nothing to shake a stick over. I think there's oh, some yeah. real opportunity with that, um, especially when you can get younger and cheaper and still maintain um, some good performance because I believe Harrison Smith and Dalvin Tomlinson are both at least above average from the interior perspective, but they're also fairly expensive. So that's where if you are going to move off of them this off season, um, you need to at least keep your um, performance where it, where it is. And I think Kyrie's Tonga is the only guy on the roster right now that would be able to do that. Got it. All right. Uh, to wrap up this segment, um, I want to give you a list of names who are prospective free agents. And then I want us to talk about these players 
next week. All right. Okay. And we can look at what we remember about watching them play. Mm-hmm. We can look at PFF data intent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to talk about these players next week because they're free agents, but I, I want to table the discussion in the same way. I want to table it for Daniel hunters, Darius Smith and Jordan Hicks. I want to know who the boss is okay. uh, before I um, have hard and fast opinions on these guys, but are you ready to write them down? Let's do it. All right. Cam Sutton. Cam okay. Steelers. Yep. Charles Amenahu, Niners. Ooh, okay. Yep. Javon Hargrave, Eagles. Ooh, Hargrave. Okay. Yep. And Ashawn Robinson, Rams. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely come to the table with some uh, some thoughts and perspectives. So our homework like is list. okay. Good. Our homework is to study those guys. They are f- likely to be free agents, um, who I think the Vikings should think about considering and if the coordinator is right they should definitely consider those guys all right yeah okay i like Um, that and then uh hopefully before we we record another episode we will have hired a coordinator and then i can't wait to hear some of your names your free agent wish list yeah um before we go delvin tomlinson are you concerned there about not having him back do you like do we have to get him back where because I think he's a guy that a lot of other teams are gonna look at and be like, I'm not sure if he'll be back with the Vikings, and we're kind of interested in that guy. And you know, we I one thing Rick always talked about, Spielman always talked about was you know, baseball GMs say sometimes the best trades you make are the or sometimes the best trades are the ones you don't make. That's mm-hmm. what baseball GMs say a lot. And mm-hmm. I hear Spielman would always say this, and other GMs would say, Sometimes the best free agent signings are your own free agents. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, t- I want to talk about Dell and Tomlinson a little bit before we go. So a minute or so on Tomlinson and what, what you thought about him this year. Um, I think he did pretty phenomenal across every, uh, every game this season. Now he had some injury that caused him to dip in availability and performance, but when healthy and available, he did very, very, very well. Um, so for example, um, when you look at his uh, overall um, uh, grades through the, the season, he ended at a 77.1 grade. Did great in pass rush, did pretty good in run defense, did uh, at least serviceable in tackling. Um, apparently he did a, a fairly well in coverage, uh, apparently. Yep. Um, so the point is he was an above average interior defensive lineman. And this is one of those categories where I mean, you have to factor in all the offseason moves together to know where you have some flexibility. But if you have the ability to bring him back, that is one I will bring back because I don't want to get rush or get worse in the, the rush game uh, when it comes to run defense. And he was a pretty phenomenal piece of our run defense. Um, even the, the threat of Dalvin Tomlinson when was, was big. Um, now, although I believe Kyrie's Tonga can be a, a good player to step up. I don't want to get rid of Dalvin Tomlinson, regardless of scheme. I think he's a great interior defensive lineman. And if you can generate pressure on the outside, it's also important to generate pressure on the interior as well. And then both of them help out the other. So I think you need to maintain that type of rush. Um, and Dalvin Tomlinson is one of those players that can do that. Now, if you can upgrade and for the same amount of pay, do that. But I don't know if there's many players that could actually fit that bill. I, I think it'd be hard to do that. You know, yeah. and unless you're going to get Aaron Donald somehow and fit him into your scheme. There you <laughs> go. Hey, he's got a Rams connection now. Bring I know. Morris over. Hey, bring Raheem Morris here. <laughs> he right? did change his Twitter to say former Rams defensive lineman. Yeah, exactly so maybe right. that means he's coming to the Vikings. That's right. Exactly <laughs> right. All right. Fun discussion here. Um, the last segment I had sort of designated Giles for 
overall, what do you and I want to see for the Vikings defense from a traits and a style standpoint? But I, I think we've kind of talked a lot about that already. And we know what fans want. They want, they want more aggressive, right? Mm-hmm. Well, every, fa- every fan wants that every year. And yep. so do we. Yeah. Uh, so w- there's a lot of different ways to define what aggressive is. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of fans look at that as like, oh, to be aggressive means you blitz a lot. And I think that's a, a very uh, immature perspective of aggressiveness. Yeah, it's a, it a very face value. Yeah. I think if, if I'm answering what I think the Vikings need to tackle in this next offseason and over the next few seasons is our ability to be tough. Now, recognize that's also kind of a, uh, an esoteric type response. But if you look at teams like the Steelers or teams like the 49ers or the Cowboys, now there may be some a few blip seasons here and there, but they're almost always coming to the table as a very stout team where teams that play them have a very poor record the next week. I think they're... There should yeah. be a little bit of a priority on being fast, that is one, but also being very tough and playing very physical. Um, I think that can make up for other deficiencies. So if you can get more tough as a defense, I think there is some uh, additional W's to be had in the next offseason and seasons to come. All right. I think I think you're right about that. I totally agree. And you're right. They're, it's, a, it's a big boy, physical, tough, hard game. Every game yep. is, no matter what yep. two teams are playing. But there is no doubt that every year there are teams, and sometimes it's two or three, sometimes it's a handful, that assert themselves as they're, that's a really physical team. And when you play them, you feel it, and you yeah. feel it the next week. You know, yeah. and Elite you, in tackling. Yep, elite in tackling. They're tough. Um, you know, And the, the more traits you can get, tough, strong, fast, smart, physical, we get it. You, you mm-hmm. want all those things. But it's very hard to have to be good at all of those things, right? Yeah. So. Yep. And you can be really fast and really smart. You're not so strong, and that can work. But you can also be really smart and really strong, but you're kind of slow, and that can work too. Uh, mm-hmm. So there, there's no right one right way to do it. Mm-hmm. But you need to have an idea and an identity of what you're going to forte in, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is what our major is, and this is what we're going to do. And yep. so what I want for the Vikings defense is for them to identify what that is Mm-hmm. And then to go and get it, yep. you know, or, or to develop it. That's yep. what I want them to do. And it doesn't matter to me if they're just going to be known for being really fast and great in coverage, or if they're going to be known for being really physical and strong and tough up front, whatever, mm-hmm. both of those will work. Pick one. Um, yeah. Yep. But pick one and yep. be it. Yep. And, and, and draft and for it. That. Yes. Yeah. Free agency signings, draft, prioritize that type of element, in all of your players. Exactly. And if we're taking Quezzy for his word in the past off seasons, I really do think they might prioritize speed and smarts. Oh yeah. Uh, based on okay. his comments. Okay. Interesting. Well, it will be, uh, it'll be fun to keep watching it. Now uh, I do want to keep a, a defensive um, flavor uh, to the Wobcast 2.0 here in season two. So um, unless news warrants it, Giles, I think we'll continue to hit on the Vikings defense uh, next week uh, mm-hmm. when we talk uh, more Vikings offseason here on the Wobcast 2.0. So I think this was a really good starting point for our discussion about how to improve the Vikings defense. I think we're on the same page about some of the things we saw that we didn't like and some of the things we think should get better. And mm-hmm. um, and and as importantly, some of the things that are good that they should hang on to and, and should continue to develop. Uh, mm-hmm. So the major thing to watch, though, is, is who the defensive coordinator is. Can't wait for that news to drop. Uh, and once it does, we'll be able to talk about it here on the Wobcast 2.0. Anything else from your notebook you want to empty out before we go? 
No, hopefully we can get uh, Mr. Morris over here in a defensive posture. I, I agree. I, I'm kind of like, I'm a little more enthusiastic about that now than I was. Like, it was a passing thought for me, Giles, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, for this week, once they got rid of Donatel, which, you know, I, I wasn't like going to stand on the table to defend Donatel, but I also was like, you, you know, you could have had, you know, you could have Chuck Knoll up in this thing last year, and I just don't think the players executed very well, you know? No. So, I mean, um, you know, and so whatever Donatel's gone and that's too bad for him. I hope he moves on and finds another job and has great success. Um, but that's neither here nor there. The Vikings decided to move on. So, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was just a passing thought of mine that Raheem Morris could come over and do it, but you, you got me kind of excited about it. Not as excited as I would be if it was Zimmer though. Yeah. <laughs> Zimmer for DC. We'll start a campaign. <laughs> Can I get a yard sign? Can you bring the yard <laughs> sign over? <laughs> I love that. We'll get them printed this afternoon. Uh, okay. All right. All right. Well, that's going to do it for um, episode one of season two of the Wobcast 2.0. You, uh, we're glad that you guys were here uh, to take it in. Remember, you can find all of the past Wobcasts, the current one, and the future Wobcasts wherever you find all your favorite podcasts. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, at Wobby on Twitter, the real Wobcast at gmail.com. We don't want you to just passively listen. We want you to participate. So those are the ways you can get in touch with us, dictate some of the content that is on the Wobcast 2.0. On behalf of executive producer Chase and on behalf of Giles, this is Wobby signing off for now. Skull Vikings. <laughs>